Hello and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Returning on this episode by popular demand off the back of his own hashtag of Bring Back Ben is former racer turned coach and all-round winter sports aficionado Ben Clark. The races are coming thick and fast right now with packed schedule. During this episode, we'll look back at the men's racing over the last weekend, starting out with the speed events from Val Gardena and then on to the giant slalom racing from Alta Badia on the famous Grand Reza. And looking ahead at the rescheduled GS and slalom from Sabak Hinterglen, which is happening on Wednesday and Thursday, with another slalom for the men in Madonna di Campiglia on Saturday evening, whilst the women will race in slalom and GS over in Courchevel at the weekend. Ben, what's been your highlight of the season so far? Well, in danger of making it the uh, Marcel Herscher Appreciation Podcast, I think every time he puts on a pair of skis is one of the most exciting things. I've watched the GS this weekend was absolutely incredible, but just all season long, every time he straps on a pair of skis, it, it is electric. It is sort of turning into who's going to come second, isn't it? Hirscher's 60-second win in World Cup over the weekend, which we'll get to later, but the guy is on fire, isn't he? Just skiing out of his skin, the best he skied in his career today. Definitely. I don't know where he finds the energy from because, as you said, the races are coming thick and fast and you can see the fatigue in some of the racers' performances. But he just appears to have an endless supply of energy and aggression uh, and he just keeps going and going. I mean, he's got another three races this week, I think, so it's just it's going to be incredible. Let's have a look back at the Super G from Val Gardena, which took place on Friday. So close to a home win for the Italians with Innerhofer laying it down. Bib 5 took the lead uh, and looked like he was going to take it. But then Svindal, the big man on campus, comes in and puts a run down, which he hasn't really done so far this season. So it was not not out of the blue because it can't be out of the blue with somebody like Svindal. But it wasn't expected for him to come out and, and take the win. Yeah, watching a lot of the coverage uh, so far this year, Svindal's talked quite a lot and quite openly and in, in interviews about some of the injuries he's had and how his body has taken an, an absolute beating. And he's, he's, he's been racing with his hand strapped up from an injury he's already suffered this season. It does look like he is struggling a little bit, but once he's on the course, you know that, that talent's there, the drive. The reason he's still racing despite all these injuries is because he loves it so much. And I, I did feel a bit bad for Innerhofer because he really did look like he had it wrapped up. He put down a brilliant run and, and Svindal just found time everywhere on the course. You, you think he'd done enough beating Jansrud, who's normally the one to beat in Super G. Probably thought he had it. And then you, I guess you can't wait till Svindal's been down before you start giving yourself the victory. Jansrud sort of been the guy to beat. Sticks in another podium uh, and he's become incredibly consistent, but not quite getting it his own way. No, and it's, it's good to see that level of competition because you don't want it too equal. Or you don't want it to be too dominant all the time, as, as great as it is watching Hersher in the slaloms and GSs. It, it does get a little bit boring if the same people are winning all the events all the time. So it's good to see some of the disciplines have that ability to change up the podium position. That's, li- that's why we like the men's speed events, isn't it? Because there's so many that can win. It makes it exciting right through the bib numbers. It's not a case of waiting to see one person come down like Hirscher to see how far he's going to be in front. And I think obviously we saw some, some really good results as well from the Slovenian speed team uh, filling up positions uh, 17 all the way through to 20, which was which was really good to see them consistently put a, a, a bunch of performances together. Yeah, because they've not had it their own way this year. I mean, we're used to seeing the Slovenians, uh, well, with 
Bostian clean anyway, him being towards the front of it, and he's struggling for form. But at least the Slovenians have a pack going forward. We talked about it, the Swiss, how they're moving forward as a team and managing to drive uh, as one together and creating positive results week in, week out. And seemingly, maybe the Slovenians are turning a corner. I really hope they are. Yeah, it's not very often you, you, you get four people together from the same country unless they're Austrian, so it's quite yeah. interesting to see it from the Slovenians. And Jack Gower finishing 57th in the Super G. It's nice to see the Brits back on the speed tour. I spoke to Jack after the race and he was saying that he was pleased with sections of it, but he just said there's so much to learn on that track. There's so much terrain that he found it quite difficult to try and take it in and you can see why the experience really counts at somewhere like Valgardena. A couple of training runs is never going to be enough when you're at the early phase of your World Cup career some courses you just cannot be experienced on and it kept coming through time and time again with with Valgadena. Uh, you mentioned with, with Dougie last week on the podcast the amount of combinations you can do with which jumps you can press which ones you you kind of hop over there's so many variations on any given year you can yeah. take those differently so it's a great learning experience good to get a, a full kind of race weekend's worth of runs in and he'll be able to keep going from there you certainly will and let's let's move on to the downhill I think we've probably got to start off talking about poor Mark Gissin, the Swiss athlete that crashed off the camels and knocked himself out and did himself a bit of damage. Yeah, that was a terrible crash to watch. I was I was watching that live and it, re- it really shook me just watching it, obviously. I mean, good friends like yourself racing over the years. It's always nerve-wracking when you're watching anyone race, especially at those speeds, but caught an edge at the worst possible moment, just before you're about to take off at 70-odd miles an hour, is you're completely helpless as soon as the ground drops away, and it just looked terrible. And I, to be honest with you, once they started showing replays, I, could, I couldn't watch after I'd seen it. One of the things about that section, when you're tucking in there, you're doing 70 miles an hour, and through the training runs, he would have known what the snow conditions are like, he would have known roughly what the speeds were going in. But I talked about it when I was commentating on the Thursday for the training run, that the snow was particularly slow in that training run, but the snow was quicker when it came to the race day. So it meant that he was carrying a bit more speed into the camels than he was on training day. And I think that he could have easily have just not realised that he was going to get a little bit light off the first of the camels. And, and therefore then, as soon as this, the uh, weight came back down onto his skis, his skis bit and uh, yeah, total passenger hit his head pretty hard. He, uh, he's got a fracture to his pelvis, which in itself is obviously very, very dangerous. And he lost consciousness for a considerable amount of time. Um, he was airlifted eventually airlifted once he was stable enough off the piste into the Italian hospital and then it was actually moved on uh, on Saturday evening back to Switzerland so they obviously thought he was um, good enough to move move hospitals so he's going to start a lengthy recovery but it's not the first downhill crashes that we've seen already this season No, we've seen a couple of big crashes so far this year obviously before the opening race of the season in the training runs we have Manny Osborne Paradis going down and, and, and you know that shook up his teammate Eric Gay enough to retire virtually on the spot uh, and also seen another big crash uh, uh, as well. With Thomas Dressen when he crashed and did Thomas his name. Thomas Dressen as well, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's three very big crashes we've had in, this, in the speed events for the, for the men this year. Racing's a dangerous sport, we, we all know that, but it, it's, it's never good to see people get injured like that. Some people don't ever come back from these sorts of injuries. I think when you have these these major, major injuries, these big, big crashes, that it's not just the physical scars that you bear. No, definitely not. I mean, there's a there's a mental side to these crashes. I mean, I, I was, 
sensible enough to never do speed events. Um, so I never had that. <laughs> so I never quite had a crash on on that size. But there are some pieces where I had quite big crashes on where I went back to race in following years where it was definitely in my head racing, even if it was only GS. You know, it's in your head. No matter how hard you try and put it to the back of your mind and get on with racing it makes a difference and for the speed that these guys go biggest bit to take from this is they've said that this the the spinal damage is negligible in, in terms of i think there are some fractures that aren't uh, dangerous yeah uh, and also that all of the head injury assessments have, have have come out fine and i guess there's a race of those are the two things you really worry about most is that there's the head and the spine the race continued as it as it should and as it does and you the guys at the top will have been used to this stuff before like you say it's not abnormal that we see crashes and holds in the gate a good 20 minutes before then uh, Svindel had to step up and do his run yeah and that was a question I wanted to ask you about your time racing if there was any times when you had a similar kind of hold in the start because I was watching and they kept referring back to Svindel being the next one in the gate and although he is an absolute consummate professional it can't be easy getting yourself into the state of mind to be ready to race and then having to switch it off for half an hour and back on again. No, it's really tricky. It happened to me most notably at the Olympic Games and uh, Patrick Yabin crashed and uh, actually punctured his lung and was helicoptered off. And so we had a big, big hold then. You obviously know that there's something gone on. You just don't ask too many questions. You don't want to know the ins and the outs. You want to know where it's happened in case it was pilot error. You want to make sure that that section, you're 100% clear where you're going and to try to not be distracted when that happens. But you have your start routines and you have your um, build-up ready anyway. So you have to then sort of step back and try and refocus. The guys at the start, they know that it's going to be a long time or they know it's going to be a relatively short time. So they can give you a rough indication. It's not a case of, right, 30 seconds and you're up. You know, you'll get a couple of minutes at least warning. So you do get a chance to do it. And it happens in training as well. So it's not a case of it's only happening World Cup there's crashes in training and I remember when um, when I was a kid and Aaron Tipping broke his leg when we were training and the rest of us had no interest in continuing the training session because he had a really big accident and we were all concerned about how he was doing and didn't want to continue training and we'd had a long time again waiting for the course to be clear to ready to go again and that the coaches were very clear in the fact that no we have to go again this is part of racing. Yeah and you can see based on, on that alone the effect it uh, Manny Osborne Paradis uh, crash clearly had on, on, on Eric Gave he was thinking of retiring and then that was enough for him to say you know what I can't deal with this for a whole season it's best to just hang up the boots now Let's go back to the result something a bit more positive Alexander Ormot Kilda absolutely smashed that race didn't he the guy was on fire inch perfect pretty much every single turn and dominated he was. That was the kind of run we've become used to seeing from pretty much any name in the Norwegian speed team of the last few years. Just you know, powerful, precise, uh, and everything you want from a speed event. No, no, and that is a, a big, big margin, isn't it? We're used to seeing races settled by a lot less than that, and uh, we've seen it a few times in in the tech events, which again we'll get back to later on. But in downhill, that is monumental. Max Franz taking second and Beat Foyts managing to just nick in there and get third. Yeah, he had a bad day on, on the Super Gs, as we mentioned, uh, Foyts. Uh, so it was good for him to come back and, and do well in the downhill and keep his kind of claims at the overall going. Um, although you don't really expect him to be able to keep up with the likes of, of, of Herscher in the overall. But good that he got a podium straight in the next day. 
big takeaway was the American speed team joined the party. Yeah, they did. They certainly <laughs> did. Fourth, fifth and sixth place. Some World Cups that you go to, you have a history with. And the Americans certainly have a history with Val Gardena. With Steve Nyman looking for his fourth victory in Val Gardena. It wasn't to be for him. But we talked about it. Travis Gannon was quickest in one of the training runs. The Americans seem to have a love affair with this place and they always raise their game and sort of finish not above where they normally should or above their station, but they do tend somehow they come here and that confidence is up and the results seem to be favourable. Uh, and and this weekend was no different. Yeah, I wish I had a resort that was like that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the opposite of the Americans' performances is the Italians in the downhill. So although Ian Hoffa had a good day in, in the Super G, the best of the Italians uh, was Bootsy down in, in 15th, which is you know quite quite surprising. You'd think having the home field advantage, they'd they'd really put in a good performance there. The next downhill outing is in Bormio as well, anyway. So back in Italy, so a chance to try and keep the home crowd happy. Then the men's event moved just round the valley to Alta Badia on the Grand Riza, where the men raced in giant slalom on Sunday. And we have to start off by talking about Marcel Hirscher. Two and a half seconds in front of second place. <laughs> and, and, and the guy racking up his 62nd victory in World Cup. You, we run out of words of how to describe just how exceptionally talented he is. I ran out of words describing him about two years ago. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, that first run was out of this world. I was at home watching it and I must have rewound and replayed his run a, a good five or six times to try and work out where he took a second out of the field on the first run. Uh, it was really something special. Apart from Marcel Hirscher, who took the win, we had Toma Fanara in second place and Alexi Pantero managing to take a final step on the podium, which the French, those boys are starting to really find their feet. Pantero especially hasn't really been anywhere this season yeah, he's on, had a, by his standards he's and had a tough couple years, he's had a tough couple of years Pantero um, so it's good to see him back on the podium and he looked really happy as well you could see his body language in the finish area it, you could tell it meant something normally these guys aren't particularly happy when they're on the bottom step of the podium and, you, and over two and a half seconds off yeah yeah. normally if you tell me you're going to be two and a half seconds off something you don't expect to be standing on the podium so it, good, good for him to get back in there uh, really surprising from Christofferson to, to be down in 14th. Yeah, that's, that's totally out of character, really. But he looked out of sorts, didn't he? It wasn't a case of he made a mistake and that was the result, was 14th. He was consistently offline. The timing was all over the place. A lot of his turn was done after the gate. He struggled for grip. It's something just uncharacteristically Christopherson we've not seen that from him yeah and, and as you said the track is very difficult regardless of, of the set and I think it's one of those ones where if you are late early on that pitch it can just drag you down the whole way down it so it looked like he didn't quite get any of his timing right and it's so hard unless you talked about uh, Herschel before where he's almost recovering from the mistakes before he's made them if it gets to the point that you make a mistake, it's not game over, but you're, you're, you're bleeding time from then on. And I think that's, that must be what happened for, for Christofferson. 
Also, Americans did pretty well again. Tommy Ford in fifth place in the GS was, was quite a good effort. It certainly was. I think, again, the whole atmosphere in the American camp is is one that's of buoyancy. With Ligeti moving away from the pinnacle of giant style and racing, I think it's the pressure's on for the other guys now. You know, stick their hand in the air and try and, uh, and get to the top. Yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. They haven't really got a, a successor yet. No one's really kind of stepped up and said, I'm, I'm the next guy uh, to, to kind of take the lead. Obviously, in the women's side, you've got Schifrin absolutely dominating, and it's going to be a long time before anyone starts asking questions about her successor. But it's a bit, it is a bit strange, because the Americans do have a bit of a history of having always someone up there. You know, Bodie Miller, in his, you know, in his absolute peak, was would threaten in any GS. Ligeti had a few years of dominating. Darren Ralves as well. Darren Ralves in the speed events was there all the time winning big races. So now you've got Tommy Ford and, and Ryan Cochran-Siegler that are almost there. They're, they need to take that kind of step up now. and just It's say, just that little bit now, isn't it, for those guys. It's the very small, the subtle differences between finishing 15th to finishing on the podium. When taking the next step involves beating Marcel Herscher and oh, Henry gotcha. Christopherson, you've got a, it's a fairly big step. It certainly is. Stefan Lutz. He managed to finish down in 20th place. And understandably, the guy has... An, an, he's got a lot he, on his mind. He's got a lot on his mind. <laughs> so where, where are we now with, with uh, what's the latest on, on Oxygen Gate? What they're saying at the moment is that he has been disqualified from that Giant Slalom win. Okay. But the German team are appealing against that decision. So what the reports are saying is that... They understand that it's not necessarily performance enhancing, but it's not permitted. And so actually, I think it's really tough because his coaches brought the oxygen to the athletes arena and he was then taking it. Sort of coaches. So it's a a really difficult thing because the athletes have got to stay across the rules and ultimately the buck is stopping with Stefan Lutz. But it's a a whole team thing and and he's about to lose um, not only 100... World Cup points. He's about to lose forty-five thousand Swiss francs as well. His prize money oh, no. plus he'll have to give the sponsorship money back. So if any of his family were expecting big Christmas presents, they might have to be uh, sending those back. I hope they kept receipts. It's yeah. It's it's very ambiguous ruling here. I mean, it's quite interesting that the when you talk about performance enhancing versus breach of. Uh, regulations. It's almost like this is a, a, a technical disqualification rather than a, than a doping-based one. Obviously, you know, oxygen's only in your system when you're taking it for a little while. But if it's going to help your ability to perform at that altitude or recover at that altitude, then it's right to be banned from the quotation marks field of play, as it's as it's written in the rules. It is very tough. It's not something that he's done deliberately to get an advantage over his competitors. But the longer this drags on, the more frustrating it's going to be for both fans, officials, and the worse it's going to look for the tour as a whole. They need to kind of get a resolution quite quickly and and set the precedent, whether it's that the appeal is upheld or the ban or the disqualification is upheld, just that the rules are there for everyone to know moving forward. Also says the German association was informed 
of the FIS decision this week and has two weeks to request a hearing before a decision is made. After the decision is issued, the German Association can appeal the ruling to the Swiss-based Court of Arbitration for Sport. Whilst the reports of other German skiers were also using oxygen masks, no other athletes are being investigated. German team director Wolfgang Meyer acknowledged the team made a mistake but maintained it had not cheated. I think that you're right about it being a technicality, but if the other athletes have done it, why aren't they being disqualified as well? I think that's I think that's really harsh just because he's if it's just down to who's been photographed doing something if the whole team's done it and there's just one photo of of him doing it that's you know it's not very consistent so it remains to be seen and like you say i think the quicker this is resolved the better so obviously we've had after beaver creek with stefan lutz taking 100 points for there marcel hirscher taking 80 points and then all the way down to 30th place the points allocation for off the back of beaver creek for everybody are wrong so we're going to have to reschedule that which could have altered the start numbers for this weekend's race. So the, the knock-on effect to this taking so long has affected all the races and it will continue to affect them until they've made a decision and it's going to have an effect because we're still running off the start numbers with Stefan Lutz having those 100 points. Yeah, it's turning into... It's still it's, wrong. It's turning into a bit of a mess and if they're talking about the possibility of going to cast for a ruling, that's not something that happens quickly. So Fisk can make their decision... And we could end up being the other side of the world champs and Cass overturning Fiss's ruling. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not great for skiing. I kind of want it to just be resolved. Uh, it doesn't feel particularly fair on the athlete himself, but just the quicker they get to the, the bottom of it, the, the better. I can, I, can underst- I can totally understand them taking this stance. And I don't want to see pictures of athletes taking oxygen on at the start of the race. I don't think that's... I think I'd like to think that the sport is more raw than these guys sucking an oxygen mask before they get in the gate. I know that wasn't what was happening, but that could you know conceivably happen in the future. So I think I like the idea that it's not happening, but they need to hurry up and make a decision so that we can just crack on. And on that note, we shall crack on. We just want to quickly touch base with how Charlie Raposo got on in that giant slalom. He was skiing really well that top half, starting bib. Uh, in the mid 40s to come down at the first couple of intermediate times he was right on the bubble 31st 30th looking like he was in with a shout of a second run and then just making a mistake towards the end but off the back of that he scored a seventh place in Europa Cup so the guy's skiing really well and hopefully he can carry on with that form into the racing on Wednesday. Last race of the weekend was the one and only parallel giant slalom at the bottom of the Grand Riza piste. I think it's, I really enjoyed the spectacle. I like the head-to-head racing. I like the fact that we're seeing these guys up against each other. It brings something else to the battle. It brings something else to the, the, the field of play, looking across next year and seeing the whites of his eyes and seeing what you know what he's made of when it comes down. But Hirscher, yet again, found a gear that nobody else had. I don't know where what he does... But he has a boost button. He has NOS or something because <laughs> he was, you know, his starts were okay. And then he all of a sudden knew he had to go. He'd put in three or four absolute rocket turns and the guy would be out in front. He, uh, and previously the parallel hasn't really suited him that much. Well, like... he said he doesn't have enough time to train the discipline. So that's one of the reasons that he has been struggling. But maybe that's changed. 
and obviously it's quite strange for uh, I guess the Brits that would have grown up on dry slopes and done dual slaloms before it's always something that we're quite familiar with and really enjoy that competitive nature of and you get a real time visual of how close people are and what a hundredth or a tenth looks like head to head and yeah Hersha Hersha found that gear again great to see Pantro backing up his his third in the GS with a, a third in the parallel and yeah and, and the French had a good day with Thibaut Favreau who has come from not again not from nowhere but the guy's been in the top 30 a bunch of times he finished 18th in the day before in the regular GS then but he he pushed Hirsch all the way and he showed that he was you know that he's got some good skills he had Matt Olsen in fourth another guy that's been skiing really well in giant slalom and Stefan Lutz managing to uh, put some demons to bed and uh, finishing in fifth. Maybe he was able to take that aggression out on the track. But I think the event as a whole runs really nicely. And I look forward to the city events as well. It just gets an added extra to the tour. But the downhillers don't seem to think it that way. Although we had a few downhillers racing in the Parallel GS event. I read an article that said that the downhillers feel that it's another event that gears the overall towards the tech skiers, which I think it, look, it certainly looks that way if you look at the podium. The top six were tech skiers with Ormot Kilda finishing in seventh. And then you go back eighth to 11th being tech skiers before you get Jansred in 12th. I can see the I can see the frustration for the men on the speed side. Giving these events World Cup points has definitely added credence to uh, how hard people try for them. I think it's quite noticeable just how much better Hersher was in this than when they've previously been a bit more kind of vanity events for the tour to try and boost some popularity. In terms of it being called a GS, it didn't look particularly GS. Like The turns were a bit longer in distance than they uh, were for the previous kind of slalom type parallels. But in terms of across the hill, it didn't look very much like a GS. It was more like a, a long slalom. And so you can see why the, the speed guys might be a bit a bit disgruntled. To be honest, I'm not sure how you fix that in terms of the points allocation overall, whether you have more speed events in a season to try and level it out. The season's already pretty packed out, isn't it? I don't know how you, like you say, it would be a tough ask for Fizz to do anything about that. And I think, uh, unfortunately, for the speed guys, they might just have to lump it. Let's take a quick look at the upcoming action. We've got the women are currently racing on the uh, track that the men have just finished with in in Val Gardena. They're racing downhill and Super G to make up for the races that they lost in Val d'Isere. And uh, the result that's already just come in was that Ilka Stuhetz managed to find her form as she took the win. But we're going to take a really speedy look at the GS, which is happening on Wednesday. Um, it's in Salbach who have stepped up and created the event after we lost Solden for the men. So this GS, again, Hirscher, home snow. I think we may as well start talking about who's going to finish <laughs> second. So let's almost give this one to Hirscher before we've we've started as he looks for his 63rd World Cup win, which is ridiculous. It's hard doing picks when you you, you can't pick the winner. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so let's let's pick the second winner. Who's going to win second place? I'd like, to be honest with you, I'd like to see a little bit more out of Manny Fella. I, I kind of spoke really highly of him in the first couple of podcasts and, and, and said how, how brilliant he was and how much I enjoy watching him ski. And none of that's changed, but he, he seems to be making a lot of errors 
that obviously his style lends itself to making errors, but just not quite getting the whole runs together the way he has done last year. But off the off the back of the success with with Herscher, with those two training together, I'm gonna uh, stick my neck out and say, crazy Manny, a crazy Manny, uh, and I might stick with. Uh, you can't say Herscher. I might stick with Herscher for the win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna go. Who shall I go for? I think Frenchman might be a good bet. Yeah, I was thinking about the French. Only yeah, off the back of this, I think going into this weekend, you probably wouldn't have said a French guy, but they are obviously skiing really well. Fanara skiing very quickly, Um, but maybe Mats Olsen. I think he's still got form. He made a couple of mistakes, and he was uh, doing so well after the first run. So I think maybe Mats Olsen is going to get back into second place. You can only have one, by the way. I'm not really doing very well. Pick- the thing is, I've not done very well at picking the winner so far at all. So um, I'm going to stick with Hirscher. He's still going to win, um, which is my pick. But uh, my second place pick, which is obviously a harder decision, I think, is Matt Solson. Slalom, we are moving quickly on to. And I think, again, Hirscher's race to lose. Well, Slalom's been a bit closer so far this year, but he is still dominating. I mean... Yeah, but it's been a bit closer in front of Christofferson, who seems to have, by his standards... Dropped a little bit Yeah, come off the boil, hasn't he? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he could pick it back up again on such short notice. But there are other guys still waiting to step up. You know, we've got the the French. Obviously, we had a very good, almost, uh, resurgence from JB Grange in in the last round of the slalom. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, the old boys can can give it a good go and and, and challenge for for some positions. We didn't really see much out of Michael Matt in the first round, no, um, who was who we touted quite highly. Or I definitely did at, at the start of the year, uh, and obviously then you've got the the slalom specialist in the in the Swedish team coming back in as well. Yeah, so I think it's going to be tough for anybody to topple Hirscher. So I think we would both say Hirscher <laughs> for the win. Second place, let's have a think. I think second place, maybe Andre Mura or a May stick with. Zenhausen from Switzerland. He looks so gangly when he skis. It's, I can't. I can't handle it. Uh, it's uh, my tall brother. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm rooting for the tall guys. So the, yeah, what do you? Who do you think for second then? Mira. Okay, sticking with the Swedes. I, I think, like it. I think Mira. I've, I've, I've picked a lot of Austrians so far this year, so I feel I need to step step away from the Austrians for a bit. And on the British note, Dave and Laurie will both be racing in the Thursday event and then the night slalom event on Saturday. Uh, Dave has been away, had a little break, cheeky break back home because the schedule allowed it. So he was at home for a few days, recharging his batteries. And I think he's more had more time on, on those skis, more time getting to grips than new equipment. I was speaking to his assistant coach, Jai, and Jai was saying that Dave's skiing well again and they're just focusing on trying to find clean arcs at the start of the turn, which I think is, I mean, everybody's looking for that, but that's one of the main focuses for Dave is trying to get that ski to bite nice and early on that new equipment. Yeah, we said he looked pretty solid in Levy, you know, not spectacular like the year before, but definitely uh, a really solid first effort for him, get some a finish in uh, under his belt, some points in the bag uh, and get the season underway. And now having two races in a few days, He'll really kind of feel some momentum and just really excited to watch him ski. A bit of cheerleading as always. Yeah, me too. Me too. And Laurie looking for a second run. So I think it's a great opportunity, like you say, with two, with almost back-to-back slaloms. A great opportunity for them in Austria, not too far to travel from the base. It could be a good weekend for those guys. Uh, and the women are racing in Courcheval. Again, a little bit on the tech side. 
this domination again from Schifrin. So Schifrin has been smashing people left, right and centre in all disciplines now, which is insane because uh, the, the hours that go into training across all disciplines is ridiculous and to be better than everybody in all disciplines <laughs> by a, you know, a decent stretch is incredible yeah um and not to scare any of the other women in the race but she's had a week off decided to skip the the downhill and and super g this week uh as last week was obviously winning three back-to-back races was probably pretty tiring i had a week off and she's going to courcheval fresh um so anyone else who's been racing midweek in the in the speed events is going to be facing a completely uh ready to go shiffering so it's going to be another well, you presume dominant performance, but I mean that Courchevel hills—it's not an easy hill to race on. No, it isn't, and it throws up a few a, a, a few trickier sections. It's it's got a bit of undulating piece, a bit of off camber stuff towards the top with, with a couple of turns on a steeper pitch. Uh, so yeah, it's not going to be straightforward. We've got Alex Tilly racing in both events. Looks like she's racing in both events, and her coach Noel Baxter was saying that she's on top form at the moment she picked up a little niggle little uh, injury in this sort of time between the races but getting back on top of that but I think lots of races race with with small injuries and I, I hope Alex is able to carry on that form that we've seen so far this season and really put in a, a proper statement again like you said we're having so many races at the moment that everyone's a little bit banged up now no one's no one's 100% fit everyone's got a little knocks and strains here and there but Alex did really well in the last race. It looked like she was finding some form. Uh, and let's hope she carries on and brings it into the next one, gets some more points in the bag. And that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Ski Racing Podcast. Thanks again, Ben, for joining me. And uh, happy Christmas to you all out there.